We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. In this episode, we're going to talk about the last 25 games. The Lakers currently stand at 28 and 29, a couple games out of the playoffs in the 10th seed as it currently stands. They had their first practice, or at least their first media availability today. We're recording this on Wednesday night for Thursday morning release, and we got to talk to Luke, Josh Hart, and most importantly, LeBron. And LeBron had some very interesting comments about how he needs to go into playoff LeBron mode sooner than he would like to. But it was certainly the first acknowledgement of a, I have a switch, which we've been talking about all year, and I'm about to flip it, despite his not wanting to do it as early as he is. We've seen LeBron do that many times over and over again. In the last couple of days, you, Darius, re- released a, a, a post on Form Blue and Gold talking about how the Lakers need playoff LeBron. So that's a, that coincides quite nicely. So we've seen LeBron do this over and over again throughout his career. He's going to show up like Thanos, snap his fingers, and the Clippers and the Kings are going to disappear. Right, Darius? <laughs> if only it were that simple. Right. <laughs> uh, I think the acknowledgement by LeBron, I like to look at this from, from the standpoint of sort of control what you can control. Yeah, and he even said that today, that exact phrase. Yeah, I actually haven't listened to his media availability yet, so I'm sort of flying blind when it comes to, to his specific comments. But um, but just that that quote itself, the whole Thanos thing of, of like, I don't think he can worry about the Kings and the Clippers. I don't think he can actually worry about the standings at all. Right. I think that there's a singular focus, and um, one of the ideas that I didn't flesh out as much, but was much on my mind when I was writing my piece about sort of playoff LeBron, is that he, within the context of the playoffs, and as you, you know, you're playing the same team over and over again, and so game plans are hyper-specific, and, and LeBron has sort of this supercomputer of a brain, so he's able to sort of process information, and when it's repeatable over and over again against the same guys night after night after night, I think that's what makes him really hard to beat. The last part of the regular season, 25 games over who knows how, how many different opponents, the game plans are going to vary from night to night to night, so I think that it's actually going to require, in some levels, a different type of being locked in it's it's going to be locked in not not only in terms of effort but in terms of these varying opponents and more focusing on yourself 
and controlling what you can control rather right. than trying to always manipulate what the other team is is doing. So forget the standings, forget the Kings, for forget the Clippers. It starts on Thursday. It's the Rockets. You know what you have to do to sort of beat the Rockets. And I'm very interested in sort of seeing how LeBron attacks very specific matchups within that context in order to try to be a true difference maker. Like he's a difference maker every night, right? Right. But in a way that sort of elevates the entire team rather than him just being able to walk on the floor and basically be, you you know, a 25, 9 and 9 guy. Right. For me, we've seen it so many times over the course of his career, although not in a Lakers uniform, that I'm not going to be the guy who bets against LeBron first. I totally understand. I I see the anxiety from Laker fans of what does that mean? Is he going to be able to do it coming off of the most significant injury of his career this late in his career with all of the minutes? There are there are many reasons to be skeptical. But for me, he has earned a benefit of the doubt that exceeds most players in NBA history. I've seen him turn it on and I've seen what even from afar, what a LeBron season looks like, even in a normal year, he he will turn it up a bit after the All-Star break. Now, he's probably going to have to turn it up more than he normally does, but this is not unusual for LeBron James' season for this to be the time where he really gets it going. In a lot of ways, for a guy like LeBron throughout his career, the regular season has been a very long exhibition season for him, and he turns it up to, to where he needs to be. Now, part of getting old, though, is... One of those years you go to do that and you can't do it anymore or you can't do it as well or you can't do it for as long. And that's what I'm interested to see. I know LeBron has extra gears to access. I'm just not sure what he's going to be, what level he's going to be able to to get to, because I've seen it, you know, with Kobe, although Kobe had a distinct point where it differentiated once he tore his Achilles you know, he was no longer the same guy after that. There was no gradual decline because he was playing amazing basketball in a very similar circumstance. The 2013 team was 28 and 29 at the exact same point of the season. And Kobe was uh, unbelievable towards Achilles in game 80, I believe. And then that was that. With LeBron, I'm curious to see if he can have a similar type of stretch. So the Lakers went 17 and 8 down the stretch of of that season. They won those last two games um without Kobe and sort of like this circle the wagons rallying cry sort of push to close the season. And if I recall correctly, they beat the Rockets on the last night of the regular season in order to actually jump from eighth to seventh. Right. And then they ended up getting swept by the Spurs in the first round when Andrew Galbach played. And Darius Morris, I and think, yes. uh, started, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we only yeah, call no him Morris. Too. We only okay, call oh, yeah, him Morris. Oh, okay, no association. When, yeah. When, okay, got when it. When he plays it. poorly. I, when. I, called him, I called him dribbles because that dude, anyway, I, no need to speak ill of a, a former Laker, but yeah. No, but when, when he, he played call him well. Morris, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was well, Darius. When he played, when he played well, yeah. he was Darius. Gotcha, yes. gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I should have known. I remember those days, yes. Anyway. So, Darius, so, like, Let's say LeBron goes is close to being that guy that we've seen him be in previous seasons. What else needs to happen for the Lakers to get to that 17 and 8, whatever that mark is for them to get into the playoffs and and preferably not the eighth seed to play the Warriors, right? Like I'd feel pretty good if they have a reasonably healthy roster and they get Denver, say at the two seed and it's a two seven matchup. Like I I think the Lakers got a good shot at that. But like what what else has to happen other than LeBron going into playoff LeBron mode for them to get to that point? What a team level. And like I said, I didn't hear the media availability, but I would be shocked if Luke Walton hasn't been talking about the defense. Very much so. Talking about focus a lot with that. I actually asked him about that because he was kind of he was he he mentioned focus a couple of times. I was like, you know, what do you do about that as a coach where focus is such an internal thing? What can you do to help improve the focus of the team? And he talked about having shorter practices, having their meditation guy come in more often. Um, and, you know, there wasn't a ton of meat to it aside from from those two things. But yeah, like he it's very much on his mind. And obviously there are a lot of factors in that, but it's it's got to start on that end. Yeah, I think so. People were sort of blaming Luke Walton throughout the season for any number of things. If there's something I'm going to blame Luke Walton for this season, and especially when it comes to, or one thing I've noticed at least with Luke Walton, is that he seems very unsure 
about who he can and what he can rely on with this team. And I feel like he gets away from some of the principles or lineups that he might think will work or can work in order to search for something that is actually showing it is working Mm -hmm. at any Mm -hmm. given time. I thought that specifically in the last few games before the All-Star break, um, it might have been the game against the Hawks where they basically switched almost everything. Um, And the Lakers really haven't done that all season. No, they and played I, LeBron for the longest stretch at the five uh, during, and, and those things are related for sure. And yeah, you're right; they haven't done that for most. But of the but but they switched McGa- But they were switching Javale on to the point guard, right. mm-hmm. even at high ball mm-hmm. screens, right? Like yeah. there are a lot of teams that switch almost everything. Houston has done more of that this year, where they've started to try to switch everything, but like um, certain ball screens that involve the five man because they don't necessarily want. Capella or whatever big man they have, especially when Capella's been been hurt with with Fareed playing more back, right? In in order to keep the integrity of well of their defense a little bit more intact, and the Lakers didn't even try that, right? They were just trying yeah. to switch everything, and they were getting abused at at every angle. And I just thought that that was Luke sort of saying nothing's been working. Let's try this, and he tried to really to me at least from an outsider's perspective trying to jumpstart the team and 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 just find some variable that he could latch on to to show like see like this works let's keep doing this and he didn't find it and so one thing i really would like to see is for them to sort of drill back and scale back and and sort of go back to basics and it, it will help to have the whole roster available it will help if guys are healthier you you know specifically Tyson Chandler who has looked really sort of he's like done the opposite of Benjamin Button <laughs> during <laughs> since well, well you mean just got old like a regular person yeah 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 well or or he's aged backwards right very quickly sure, um sure at like so just think about what it was like in those first like 10 or 15 games Chandler was you you know chasing down loose balls and diving out of bounds and now he looks like he's moving around the floor like Dirk a little bit um and so it would be useful if if everyone was approaching more of their peak physical ability which is hard you know when you're talking about games you you know like 60 through 82 which is mm-hmm. the part of the season the 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 Lakers are approaching but they really need to lock in and, and so the same principle that you applied to LeBron James about you know turning it on and and let's see how how able he is to reach that level physically right to do it night after night after night that really applies to the whole team from a defensive standpoint, remember, like they were basically a top ten defensive team for a third of the season. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. That 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 wasn't um, fluky. I would like, no. They I did it for call. a very large portion of the season. Season and like, it, and it's easy to tie that to Lonzo, right, being out. But it's, it goes ju- beyond just him. You and I have talked a lot over the time that we've been doing this this podcast about sort of appropriate slotting. And getting everyone into a better position where they can be successful. I actually think that Luke has been trying that since the Reggie Bullock trade by moving Rondo back to the reserve unit. Trying to give that unit more of a ball handler and leader. Someone who, especially with Lonzo out, someone who could organize the offense. Because it was clear that that wasn't necessarily working with a combo of like Lance Stevenson and Brandon Ingram. Sort of sharing the ball handling duties. So... I'm very interested in Lonzo come coming back and what he looks like when he comes back be, because if he can at least be effective defensively, I think that it does help this team slot the other players appropriately and allow them to play more of the type of basketball on both ends of the floor that they like to play. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Lonzo is the driver of that. It just means that he is a very key ingredient to 
to that. I don't think we can depend on Lonzo, though. As we record this, it's four weeks and three days from when he hurt his his ankle. He is not back on the court. He There was no update today on that. Now, we expected this, like when they said the four to six week timeline, we're like, eh, you know, that probably doesn't sound right. But it's still, it's. I think it's ridiculous how the team handles injuries and handles the reporting of injuries. Um, but like... In terms of the defense getting right, Lonzo is the frosting on the cake for me. I think he's going to come back in March, early to mid-March, somewhere in there. And he'll be able to obviously slot things, as you said, in a much more appropriate manner. But they don't have time to like wait for Lonzo to get back, for the defense to get right. What can they do between now and when he gets back? Let's say it's early to mid-March to, with what they got, because they basically have everybody help. I mean, Josh is banged up, Muscala's banged up, but that, that's true of so many teams at this point, of having guys who are right on the verge of being available or available, but you know, not 100%. What can what do they need to do to get around that appropriate slotting that you were talking about, which is 100 percent true, but it's just not the luxury that they have considering the circumstances? I mean, what do you think? Because I'd love to hear your thoughts about from a schematic point of view or or do you think it's just effort? Bro, it's to me, it's way more effort and focus. Talking about the scheme and, and strategy and all that is very much, at least as it applies to the last week or so before the trade deadline, or I'm, I'm sorry, before the, the All-Star break, which included the trade deadline drama. It's, you know, worrying about the deck chairs on the Titanic type of thing where like no scheme is going to work if you don't have guys locked in. You can try switching. You can try drop coverages. You can try blitzing. You can try trapping. You can try all, all sorts of things. None of it's going to matter if guys are not there. And I saw so many possessions on tape where guys just were not applying themselves. And what's funny is that it's easy to run with, and I'm guilty of this to some extent, with the narrative of the trade deadline really messed with the young guys and that's how they went into a tailspin. But when I watch on tape, the guiltiest parties are the veterans. The veterans. It's like, man, yes. it's Rondo, it's JaVale, it's KCP. Tyson, to me, doesn't seem to me like a guy who's not trying. He's just a little washed, as you were talking about earlier, yeah. right? So it, my complaint about him is, is less so... Lance has actually been one of the guys that I think just his effort level has been pretty consistent throughout the season. You get good Lance sometimes and bad Lance other times. But I think Lance has been one of the more dependable guys. But Rondo, JaVale, and KCP specifically have been guys where it's like, like, no, it doesn't matter what scheme you're running. Like, they're not playing at that effort level. And then LeBron, of course, that you cannot defend well with those type of guys. So I, for me, like talking about scheme and things like that, I, it's more of a like, this is a team that was in a really bad mood for whatever reason, and probably multiple reasons, the trade deadline being one of them, but not the only thing going into the deadline. The, to me, this these next 25 games are, can they snap out of that? Because that, in my opinion, solves a lot of those issues. Do, am I being too simplistic with that idea that that's the main thing? Or do you think it's beyond that? Not at all. And in fact, like after Rondo hit the game winner in Boston, I thought his effort level was atrocious coming off the bench. Now, I don't know mm -hmm. if that was pouty Rondo. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if that was like, WTF Rondo <laughs> sure or maybe a combination of both um but he he just was floating out there and and even more than usual Rondo's good for about 8 to 10 pointing possessions defensively <laughs> I know exactly what you mean by that but explain what you mean by that just him sort of like standing in the same place and his man goes to do something and he yells a teammate's name I'm guessing I can't hear I'm not courtside or whatever and just points like go do that um very reminiscent of late career Kobe Kobe was probably you you know 12 to 15 points, pointing sure. defensive possessions a game, right? Um, 
And I actually think that Luke may have tried to to switch more based off the fact that guys actually weren't it really adhering to moving around the floor right. the way yes. that they were supposed to defensively. So disaster prevention is what he yeah, was trying sort of, to go for. Yes, sort of like almost like playing a zone, you Gosh. know. Yes. But 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 by switching. Like, okay, these guys are interchanging. Well, then just stay in the same damn place if you're not going to make your rotation <laughs> anyway. If so, you're not going to move anyway, right? Yeah. yeah, just basically stand there and then yell out switch, and then now you've got the new guy that's in your area. You know, yeah. that 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 sort of thing. So I thought Rondo was especially poor at that. KCP's effort has waxed and waned more than any other player, I think, right? Like... Rondo and LeBron, you can point at Rondo and LeBron and say that their defensive effort has has waxed and waned, but they're not 26 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? KCP, I thought, after the trade deadline, so KCP's name has been in trade rumors the longest, actually, of any player that's on the roster, because... Part of that's... But part of that's his own, like... Him wanting to go somewhere else and play a bigger role. He is an expiring contract. He wants that long-term deal. So, so some of that is, I don't want to say self-inflicted, but it, it's what he wants. You know. So for me, that that idea that, I, I don't know, I didn't let you finish your point, but like the idea that, that KCP is affected by trained rumors, it's like, well, this is what you want, man. Like You want to go to a spot where you have more playing time, but please, please continue. No, and I think that that's totally fair. And KCP was also the guy who lost his star starting spot earliest in in the season that's as true. well. Yes. Um, so which facilitated those trade requests. Yes, which was sort of like, okay, well, if he's not going to be the starting shooting guard for this team, then maybe he can be swapped for the next starting small forward. If that right, so I could understand sort sort of where mentally he may be on shakier ground and maybe not having the same amount of buy-in as he did last year, where he probably had more of a green light than any player on the roster. When you really look at how playing time was doled out and what their role was relative to what their future or what their prospective future with the team was, you and I had spoken a fair amount about that last season where it was kind of like, what does KCP have to do to no longer have such a bright green light, you know? (laughs) Right, right. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that the three guys that you mentioned, Rondo, KCP, and JaVale, I think that they need to have a little bit more buy-in and they need to lock in a lot more, right? Yeah. But like buy-in to their respective, so buy-in from the perspective of their roles, and locking in from the standpoint of, okay, like, regardless of whatever else is go going on, my 100% focus is going to be on doing the right thing and playing hard for however many minutes I'm out there. And I'm hoping that the trade of Zubots actually helps McGee be a little bit more focused I know that the trade of Zubots has sort of ruffled the feathers of a lot of Lakers fans. Myself included. And I totally understand the idea of you did not need to trade Zubots in order to get rid of McGee, or not McGee, of of Beasley. Beasley. You could have just waved Beasley, and that would have been that. What I will say is that one of the things that I was feeling for a while in terms of JaVale's dip in play wasn't just because he got sick. It was because when he got sick, he lost his starting spot. Mm -hmm. He did not get the starting spot back. Mm -hmm. And he went from a two-man center platoon where basically him and Tyson played the entire game, Mm -hmm. right? Normally about half the game each. Right. And they went from that to a three man center rotation where his minutes were very much in flux. So he went from playing, you know, the most minutes he had probably at any point in his career since maybe his first or second season or something like that to now he could literally maybe get two shifts a game. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And. 
look, there. we can talk all we want about professionalism, going out there and playing hard regardless of circumstance. I'm always someone who tries to see the real human element and yeah, and just sort of put myself in that person's shoes and like, yes. what would happen if at your job, whatever your job is, this thing happened to you? How would you respond? And yeah. I can tell you that I like to think that I would respond well. I also know there are going to be times where I just don't or or I can understand that someone might not respond well. And and so while we can litigate the Zubots trade and I certainly see both sides of that from an asset management standpoint and from a player development standpoint and trajectory standpoint and salary cap management and process look I see all of that um that would go against trading a player like like Zubots. I also think that in the short term, one of the things that this move is designed to do is try to get the most out of JaVale, who was super important to this team early mm-hmm. during the year, and yes. try to get him back to playing at the level that approximates where he was during the first 25 or so games of the season. And that player can be a difference maker for you in a way that fair or not, argue it or not, like argue both sides as much as you want, is just a, offers a different type of impact than what Zubots does. Zubots was playing really well, and so I'm not knocking him. McGee's the only guy on this roster who does the things that McGee does. The Lakers need him to do that at a really high level, though, man. They need him to get back to the guy he was at the beginning of the year. Like, there's your your point is well taken, and I I'd like to think that I wouldn't handle it the the same way that he did in terms of my perception that he's been pouting. But I do understand. But the the trade his role like in that that Atlanta game he only played 13 minutes and that was after the Zubats trade because he was so damn bad that you couldn't play him so Luke went small he played I think 17 different lineups searching for that guy so when JaVale is pouting and Tyson Chandler is looking washed up you know what what are the, even Luke's options at that point so yeah and like and, they, they need that and guy like back, no Muscala right Muscala right. basically and Muscala was out yeah there's a lot of value in certainty. And if the Zubats trade creates that in JaVale, like that's a real stretch in terms of justifying the trade for me because JaVale is on a one-year deal. He's not part of a core long-term. But if that's a small benefit from him, from the trade, that's a good thing. But they need that to start now. You know, they need JaVale to be the guy that he was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and honestly, look, the All-Star break couldn't have come at a better time for yeah. a variety of reasons. Yes. From from a health standpoint, um, but also, I hope, exactly, from a mental sort of refresh standpoint. And this is where I think LeBron, playoff LeBron, we talk about the on-the-court stuff, but this is where I think the leadership is even more important. Yeah. Because yeah. he can be the beacon, he can be the lighthouse for this team, right? And he can guide them to where they need to go, not only from the standpoint of, of his play on the court, but through the idea of every player in that locker room respects him as basically the best player in the league. (laughs) You know what I mean? And when those players speak and they lead, it it makes a tangible difference. And (laughs) I can guarantee you that even though all of the players clearly respect LeBron, that there's got to be some sort of like word when it comes to how he was sort of the the effort he was putting out there and well, they they got film and, sessions right like yes. everybody sees it it's got to be one of those situations that's awkward as hell it, like i hope someone's saying something about it i i hope there's and that's part of the 
part of the detriment of Luke not having weathered and experienced assistants around him is they need somebody who has been around and has been enough. Like, I don't care that you're LeBron James, <laughs> you know, like this yeah. is not acceptable. And somebody who's not like looking for a head coaching gig type thing. There's Ron Adams. Plenty, Ron Adams is who I'm talking about. Absolutely. Where they're in their seventies. They've seen Tex winner is another guy, right? Like, I don't care that you're Kobe Bryant, you know, make this, make the X cut in the triangle offense right here. You know, they, I hope and I can't say that 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 this isn't happening, but I hope there is a voice in the room that has the the stones to speak up and say like this you need to do better. I don't care who you are, this is not acceptable and, and not treat him like a sacred cow. Yeah, and, and he knows he knows you don't get to the level that he's at. And look we can talk all we want about all kinds of different things and, and, and oh, LeBron and all the media stuff that swirls and, and like, oh, it, like, is he manipulating? Is it like, is he behind the scenes clamoring? Is, is his team, the guys who are like dropping these, these quotes and he wants Luke gone or he wants these players traded? On You can go on and on and on and on. And maybe that stuff's real. Maybe it's not. Maybe it kind of is. I have no clue. I'm not even going to speak on that with any sort of veracity. What I will say is that when you're that good a player and you've reached the heights that you've reached, you watch. He knows. He knows that it's time. I don't think he would have actually come out and said it. Yeah, in point. the manner that you're saying that he said it today. Yes. If he didn't know that it was time yes. to basically say, you know what? We're like we're about to go there. So, my question back to you is then is so obviously LeBron is the most important player. Who else? Who else do you think is the most important that needs to sort of come with him and raise their game just you you know even if it's just a half a step to a full step up from where it's been over the last two three weeks who needs to come with them in order to sort of make the difference because as much as we talk about LeBron he is not going to do it by himself man that's a great question, and I'm going to an answer it after a quick shout-out for our sponsors. Blue Wire's teaming up with Harry's to make sure that our listeners are shaving comfortably. Darius, last time I saw you, when we went and grabbed lunch in the middle of your workday, you had a very distinguished salt-and-pepper stubble. And if you uh, if you need help with that, you can go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, travel blade cover, you get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. I've got my, I've got my, the Lakers are depressing me and it's the all-star break beard right now. So it's probably the longest I've had it of my life. Uh, and, and so I will be using Harry's products very soon. So fix shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. They bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for 95 years. So join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com backslash bluewire. And all of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. And while we're here, life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com. All right, so 
You asked me before the break, who needs to step up with him? To me, the key guy that makes everything else fall in line with this is Rondo. You mentioned that he's got those eight to 10 point at him type of moments per game. And it, I do wonder, and I'm curious of your opinion on this, if him and LeBron can play a ton of minutes together because LeBron is of that ilk as well. I don't know if you can have two guys on the court and have a quality defense that are pointing and not actually making the rotations. But I do think Rondo has an extra level that he can step up to. It's obviously not to the level of what LeBron can do, but I feel like we've seen it a couple of times. The Golden State game on Christmas being an example that stands out most glaringly that when Rondo really gets into his bag, the rest of the, everything else, like everything else runs really smoothly. And the Lakers are very potent type of team. So he's the guy that really stands out to me. And part of it is on the defensive end and being a little more present. Um, The Lakers coaching staff very generously describes him as being sometimes a little too smart, right? Where he knows the play that they're going to run and he'll start cheating and not make, you know, not stay with his assignment and rather will look at the bigger picture overall. Uh, He needs to clean some of that up, but a lot of it I think is just an effort level rather than him, you know, like, yes, he does know the opponent's playbook. He does know what they are about to do, but he needs to actually physically apply himself to do those things and then take control on the offensive end to where the Lakers can have LeBron or Rondo on the court for all 48 minutes, and they got a a bad dude that knows how to run offense on the court during all of those 48 minutes. So he's my guy for who's the main guy that needs to step up to make this go on a 17 to 8 or better type of run going toward the end of the season. How about you? Who's your guy? Yeah, Rondo's a great, that's a great, great point. I think I'm still looking at probably at I was about to say Brandon Ingram, but I actually... Th- Brandon's been good, man. Like, I, I feel he like... He has. And that's why I actually think it might be Kyle Kuzma. In what way? In what way? Because, we like, Kuz is a guy with pretty clear strengths and weaknesses. What do they? What does he need to do that he's capable of doing in terms of him stepping up to be that guy that makes the difference? Get back to being a 36 to 38 three-point shooter. Oh, Lord. Just make the open ones at a reasonable clip, at least. Uh, so look, man, one of the things that makes Kuzma super valuable is that he's treated like a shooter, even if the shot's not going in, <laughs> right? So there's benefit just to having him out on the floor. Teams sort of close out on him. They they chase him effectively off, off of screens. Um... The problem is, is that when he's shooting 31 or 32 percent, like he basically has been all season, you you know, and that comes with, you know, a three game stretch where he's seven for 15 or eight for 18 from behind the arc. And you're just like, oh, man, look at Kuzma. He's just pumping him in. And then he has a four game stretch after that where he's like four for 20. That's tough. And Kuzma's always going to be a little bit streaky, but the streakiness has been just really, really bad (laughs) this second season compared to his rookie season. And if you remember, go back to when we first saw Kyle Kuzma play in a Laker uniform. That was Vegas Mm -hmm. Summer League. And then that transition in the preseason, and then it transitioned into the regular season. So there was probably about, if you combine all that time and don't fast forward right from like the middle of July to, to September, there was probably about a month, month and a half, two month stretch of actual basketball where he's on the court played in a Lakers uniform, regardless of environment and competition level and all of that, where he was not only playing with confidence and swagger, but his shot was just going in. And Mm -hmm. it was that type of play that was, he's the steal of the draft. Yes. and that story sort of carried through the, through his entire rookie season, even though about a third of the way through his rookie season, he sort of hit some bumps and, People were talking about the rookie wall, and then he bounced back again in the second half of the season, and I thought played well, right, and sort of powered his way to a first-team all-rookie selection. Wouldn't it be great? It's the middle of February. Yeah, man. Wouldn't it be great if 
Kuzma just went on one of those six-week stretches where he's shooting the ball at like a 40% clip from behind the arc like he did, I think, to start his rookie season. Yes. That would be nice. And so I was going to say Brandon Ingram because Ingram has all the requisite skill set, right? But Ingram's been playing well enough to me. And I thought of all the players on on the entire team, I thought that the trade rumors affected him the least. In fact, he was getting better. He was starting to do more work off of the ball. He was doing a lot of the stuff that you and I have sort of been clamoring for over the course of the season. Um, He started to cut more. The three-point shot's still not there, but he was doing a lot of other things well. And I thought, hey, this is nice. Good for Brandon Ingram. What the Lakers actually need, though, is they need more dependable outside shooting. Kuzma's the guy who I think he plays at a a position now where there is the least amount of depth on the roster. So the Lakers traded away Michael Beasley. Michael Beasley was the guy who was eating into Kyle Kuzma's minutes, right? I think Luke was really trying to find Beasley a role, and whatever minutes he was getting were really at the expense of Kuzma. Beasley's gone. There's no other real stretch four that's on this roster. You know, you can even play Brandon Ingram at at power forward for some minutes, but even he's not really a stretch four. This team now has a bunch of wings, right? So maybe Josh Hart gets some minutes there or whatever. It'd be nice if Hart could sort of reclaim some, some of the shooting prowess that he showed earlier during the season as well. But just based off of like the numbers gain now adding Reggie Bullock and KCP is still there. And then Lance Stevenson is still there. And then you've got Josh Hart. That's like a lot of wings. Kuzma's the guy to me where I feel like if he sort of gets back and plays to his potential as a shooter, The rest of his game, I feel like, has been relatively consistent. The mid-range stuff, the floater, the transition game, that's all been there throughout the season. And I think he's actually played to a certain level of consistency in those areas that have carried him and, in a way, made his season underrated on a certain level. But Kuzma can make his bones as a true stretch four. And if... Like in that Philly game, I think I tweeted it out during that Philly game that Kyle Kuzma was playing like the love child of Richard Lewis and Cedric Sabalos. <laughs> yes. Right? Because he was bombing threes and he was getting all these sort of crafty, like in between baskets around the restricted area and like the dunker spot where he's yeah. getting floaters and runners and getting little putbacks. All it was that like stuff garbage made- buckets that Sabalos specialized in all those years ago. Yeah, exactly. And so if he can continue all of that stuff, which I think is a real natural part of his game, mm-hmm. while getting back to being like a high 30s or even 40 percent three three point shooter, that dude's a real difference maker. And that dude plays so well off off of LeBron and that dude can be over a six week stretch like, oh, hey, look. Kyle Kuzma's averaging 22 points a game. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And that would be, to me, a real kick in the pants for a half-court offense that has really struggled to generate points. The Lakers didn't have enough shooting on this roster to afford to have a guy with the volume of Kuzma to kind of underperform what he had done the year before, right? They needed somebody or a couple of guys to outshoot expectations like Lance Stevenson's shooting 38 point something percent this season like way better than than his career averages you needed a couple of guys like that but what you didn't need is a guy like Kuz to drop to I think he's at 32 percent right now from 36 and it's especially on those open threes and he's still averaging 19 points a game right he's and a lot of it is coming off of those buckets that you were talking about and he's got such a such a highly developed skills package on those floaters and runners and those mid-range type shots that are not, they're not stationary. They're not pull-ups off of ball screens, but he shoots well enough on those shots for them 
to be a good shot. And that's super important in today's NBA when that's what the NBA by and large is surrendering by virtue of most guys not being not shooting those well enough for it to be something that you want to guard. Right. And so who's being great at that is, is phenomenal. He's, he still had a productive season as a scorer. There are a couple of things about his game, though, that this is a bit of a harsh criticism of Kuz, but it is one that I believe. And I hope people understand this, that I'm saying this from a perspective of a big believer in Kuzma. I think a lot of times he plays toward getting individual recognition rather than playing toward helping the team win a game. I think a lot of the things that he does well. So, for example, his screen setting, he's always going to slip a screen or not make an effort to make contact on it. And those slips make you open more often, but it's not always the right play to make. And he's, he has a good feel for one to do it, but it's sometimes like set the damn screen. Actually yeah. get get wide, make contact, free your free a teammate up up whether it's the ball handler or the guy on the skip pass that has you know after they worry about you rolling or popping, and that is one thing that I've noticed since the trade rumors, even in the young guys is just certain like, it, like so for example he had that huge game against Philly. No one's texting him saying, well, you really missed some defensive rotations on that. Like, no, man, he dropped, what, like 39 or something like that in that game. Like, that's what's going to get you kudos. That's what's going to get you props for doing that on national TV. But it's not like when your team's giving up a buck 40, you're not doing the things. And it's not just him, obviously, but that are helping you win games. So for me, Kuzma being that guy that you're talking about, being the guy that they need to step up. The knocking down open shots is certainly part of it, but playing to help your team win the game, making those type of plays are is even more important for me. I wrote an article earlier during the year where I I basically said, this is the Kyle Kuzma we've been waiting for. And that was the stretch where you looked at the box score or there was that stretch. And I don't know if you remember it, but... Pretty much everyone who gave sound bites from within the Lakers was sort of talking about, you know, Kuzma's been playing real well lately, and he's been doing yeah. more of this and more of that, and he's been he's been moving the ball more, and he's been more active on the glass, and he's been better defensively. And then you looked at the box scores, and it was, oh wow, Kuz had five assists yeah. last game, or. Oh, he had 13 rebounds, you know, and it was so and and he had strung together like this 8, 10 or 12 game stretch where the scoring fluctuated some, but he was stuffing the box score in all of these other ways. And it was really helping the team win. I think that coincided with when Ingram sprained his ankle. Mm. Yes. No, that's a good point. I think some of what you're describing now is sort of him getting back to being that player. Yeah. While some of the things that I'm talking about is him getting back to to, to sort of being even more of this offensive dynamo. And honestly, if he could bridge the gap between both of those and bring it up a little bit of a notch in both of those areas, that's the number two guy. I think that Ingram, Ingram can offer a steadiness and this sort sort of Swiss Army knife type of play, and and continue his trajectory that that he's been on as a, I think a good NBA player who's also and an all around NBA player, right? Yes, that guy who is an all around player who can who can give you a little bit of everything, and you know set up the offense here and there, be great in transition, create some shots in. And the half court off of isolations, run some pick and roll, right? A little bit of just dabbling here and there. And when you look up, oh, look, Brandon Ingram has 16 or 17 points and six rebounds and four assists or five assists, right? And I think within the construct of what the best version of the Lakers can be down the stretch, that's probably Ingram's best role, right? I Like... I don't think him becoming this second version of LeBron is going to happen, first of all. But I, but even if it could happen, I don't even know if that's what is best for the team when you're framing when 
what you said about Rondo is definitely true. And I think that what I've said about Kuzma and what you've said about Kuzma is certainly true too, because the skill set that Kuzma has, I think, as a potential shoe shooter is so valuable for what this team actually needs. And and while we're talking about sort sort of like, you know, LeBron being Jerry Maguire, like who's coming with me? Right? Like <laughs> right, right. Um I also think too, like, look, man, like how bad was Josh Hart when he was dealing with his knee issues? And, and he's still dealing with those, man. I talked to him today. One thing, Josh is very high up there of my favorite guys to to cover. And like guys like him, they're never gonna be like, Yes, my knee hurts and it was affecting my game. But when talking to him about it today, I even asked him. So he went up to Napa with his girlfriend, a couple people to decompress for this all-star break. And, you know, little, you know, found a Wi-Fi spot, but tried to stay off technology. He, he mentioned all of this. And I asked him, I was like, did, did you get what you wanted out of this break and out of that time up in Napa? And he was like, mentally, yes, <laughs> which implies that physically, you know, maybe He's not where he needs to be. So just to to jump in there, like Josh is still dealing with the impact of that. He's got tendonitis in his knee, and that's not something that probably needs a month or two rather than a week or two to get himself all the way back to normal. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Like, I really like Hart, and I think that he is that rare young player that's also a glue guy. Yeah, that's true. That's very rare. Right? Like... Odes of like Derek Fisher, sure. and and I hate to say say this because he's a totally different type of player in a lot of ways, and also he's a Celtic, but like Marcus Smart, sure, you you know just young guys who sort of already know what their game is, already know how they can impact an NBA game, even as you know a twenty two or twenty three or twenty four year old right, a second year player or whatever. And just just sort of very, not cocky, really, but confident. And he knows who he is and knows who he is. That's exactly right. And there's real value in that guy, especially when the alternatives are like KCP, who runs hot and cold. Um, And as we mentioned earlier, the effort's not always there. Lance, who is, you know, very the personification of, you know, you can change the Forrest Gump quote to like, Lance is like a box of chocolates. Sure. <laughs> right? um, sure. So, so it's, it's, it's just one of those things where there's a steadiness to heart. And I thought that when his shooting went down and, and physically he wasn't really all the way there, that really hurt this team in a lot of ways that didn't always show up in the box score besides like the final score, if that makes yeah. sense. And, and you know, the that brings me to if I were to choose a second guy beyond Kuzma, and I think all of what you said about Kuzma is correct. And I think he's a guy that, you know, he was a 27th pick in the draft. He very much has that chip in, on his shoulder of the like, you will know my name. Right. And I think that there are things that come with that. Right. And he's going to get his shots up because that's going to be what he gets his glory from. And he's very talented at it. He's not an inefficient scorer, but he does have questionable shot selection at at times. And I think a lot of how Kuz plays is driven by the need for adulation and individual attention. And I don't think he's grown into that Josh Hart type of guy where like, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I know what I do. Like, and and that's good. It's good to have ambition. I want young players to have ambition, but I think that explains some of why Kuz plays the way that he does. But for me, the guy who's second most important is the new guy is Reggie Bullock. In the last game, LeBron had five assists to just Bullock. He obviously provides a skill at a very high level in an area where the Lakers are pretty bad outside of him in that outside shooting. He also makes guys like KCP and Josh Hart, who are inconsistent, I would argue, for different reasons. But I don't like having to count on KCP having a good game. I don't like having to count on Josh Hart having a good game, especially when his knee is having the issues that it has. So he turns them, and even Lance fits that description, 
more into a luxury than guys that you need to depend on to produce at a high level. So between his natural skill set and how he kind of slots everybody, you brought that term up earlier in the show. I, I think Bullock for me is the second guy, even behind Rondo, even before you get to like, I feel like I know what we're going to get with Kuz. We, I know what we're going to get with Brandon. And when I watched the tape, like I said, it was easy to be like, oh, all the young guys are distraught because they've been in trade rumors, but it really hadn't been them. And even in that Atlanta game, Kuz was a guy that stood out to me as a guy who was trying. He yeah. made a couple of awful plays, but he is a guy who's like really putting it out there, trying to win this game, even beyond individual glory. So for me, Bullock slots in and, and pushes guys into more like we don't need them but if they're having a good game great you can play Bullock alongside KCP or Hart so for me he's the second the second most important guy what have in the short t- period of time the Lakers have had him what has been your impression of him so one that his release is a lot faster than what yes. I thought it was yeah man no he lets it fly you you know um there's no wind up with him he's also um bigger than what I thought you you know like um and I know that I think he's listed at like 6'6 six, six or 6'7 six, he actually looks that to me on the court I don't know if that's the same for you but I was they had him sort of with the unconventional lineup that they've been playing since Rondo has gone to to the bench Bullock was guarding point guards the last couple of games, mm-hmm. he just looked big out there, and maybe it was because he's like, oh, like here he is. He's guarding Trey Young. You no, know? he's got size, man. He's like, we've talked about the lack of wing size where guys just shoot over KCP and Josh Hart. Like, no, Bullock is like a legit, you know, 6'6 type of guy. So those two things have stood out to me. He competes defensively, which I've yeah. liked. That could just be, you know, like, let's make a good impression in my first few days like on the job so we'll see how that sustains but honestly man like in an ideal world I would love the Lakers top you know seven or eight guys and you know me I'm in love with like who are your who are your key seven or or eight guys if Bullock finds his way in to that mix with like you you know um, all the young guys so Lonzo Hart Kuzma, Ingram, LeBron, hopefully JaVale, if he's back on track, and then put Bullock in that mix with, like, you know, Rondo, and there's your sort of top seven guys. Am, am I missing someone? No, we're just with Lonzo waiting in the wings. Yeah, like, but I'm saying that's where you want to get to. Yeah. that Right? That's not, you know tomorrow against Houston but but I feel like if we're in that sort of first or second week of March the timeline that you're speculating about when when it comes to Lonzo and when you're gearing up in that final push into the first part part of April if those are your core seven guys and then whatever you get from KCP and Lance as guys eight and nine and then Chandler being you you know that tenth guy to round out like you're basically the guys who are going to play I think that that's a team that you can work with and and hopefully can make some noise now they got to get there and that goes back to the whole point of this pod, right? Yes. Is, and yeah. it starts with LeBron. So we're going to see. We're going to know a lot more in a week, man. I think that's a good place to stop. Hopefully next week we are uh, talking about how the switch has been flipped and they are well on their way to where they need to be to get into the playoffs. But this is a, an important week for this 2018-19 Lakers team. So you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, my book. Will you get these idiots out of here? 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.